Welcome to Noodles Chronicles. Welcome listeners to another episode of Noodles Chronicles. Uh, thank you again for your support and love. Uh, I do apologize. I could not uh, release an episode last week because due to health issues and scheduling. Here we are today. I got another brand new episode for you guys. Uh, happy Diwali, first of all. And today we have in our studio, Dennis Hunkler. Please, Dennis, would you introduce yourself? Uh, yes, Robin. Thank you. And I appreciate your inviting me on to this podcast. Of course. No, I, it's my pleasure to have you here on the podcast. Thank you, Robin. Yes. Uh, my name is Dennis Hunkler, mm-hmm. and uh, myself and Gregory Stasiak have recently put out a book of poetry, and the title is called Erasure, and it's a, con- a discussion between two poets, myself and uh, Gregory. Mm-hmm. Gregory is your co-author who was uh, unable to come here today, right? That's right, Gregory Stasiak. Okay. Uh, Gregory has a, um, a, a website uh, himself. Yeah. Uh, so one could Google it. It's called uh, uh, Poetry Kiosk, C-O-M. Yeah. That's beautiful. So what made you write this book? That's uh, a very interesting <laughs> <laughs> question because yes. uh, Gregory and I didn't start out wanting to do a book. We started out wanting to do a video. And uh, this uh, video would have incorporated those same poems, of course, that are in the book now. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I did storyboarding for this video. Okay. I, I came up with the uh, uh, this humanoid-like yeah. cyborg figure that's on the cover. And uh, yeah, and I see that. Yes. It's on every page except the pages where the full poems exist. Was that on purpose? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Now the uh, the figure is half human. Mm-hmm. And it's half circuitry. <laughs> okay. So, yes. Uh, we kind of conceive of the human condition as going more and more toward being controlled from the outside rather than from our own inner resources. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a big problem today, I think, with a lot of people, and it's uh, has created a a problem in terms of social structures, also. Yes. I, yeah. I agree. We're often more convinced about opinions that we see online yes. than we are with what happens with our own noodle. In, in the head, yes. So what do you think, why is it happening these days? Was this happening before too, like 20 years ago, or is it just ha- it started happening now? Yeah, I think uh, most of us who are interested in what's going on in the world around us listen to news broadcasts either on the radio or television. When the Internet started up, we Mm -hmm. started going online and looking at that sort of thing. And now social media is relatively new. Mm -hmm. That's right. And I guess that's one reason why Facebook wants to be so self-protective. And uh, if we're doing social uh, resources, yeah, uh, you're one with your blog spot. Noodles Chronicles podcast. Uh, a lot of people will take that as, uh, let's say, gospel. Yes. And say, I heard that online and I respect this blog site. Uh-huh. And this is what they're saying. Uh, even when it comes to a situation like that, they'll still not rely on their own thinking and their own background uh-huh. information to make a decision about what is true for them uh-huh. or not true for them. Yeah. So they've become like uh, colonialized okay. by the very technology uh-huh. that uh, governs them from day yeah. to day. 
Would you say it's it has become a cult in a, in a way? No, I wouldn't say it's a cult. Mm -hmm. a, a like cult, a community. Well, even maybe not a community. No, not a community. It's worldwide. Worldwide. I can hear opinions coming from England and from the Middle East. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All over the world. And so uh, I don't see any form of community in that mm -hmm. regard. Mm -hmm. But Marsh McLuhan did discuss this idea of tribe. Yes. There is a tribal relationship among all these people mm -hmm. who take certain opinions uh, very seriously. Very seriously. Yes. And, and uh, ignore anything else. Mm -hmm. So uh, rather than community oriented, I call it tribal. Probably. Tribal. Yeah. Do you think it has made people biased now? Like they're because they're only seeing one side of the coin, right? Do you think it has made them blind to the other side? Well, I think they probably have come to media mm -hmm. with uh, preconceived opinions already. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. So they're really only looking at the media that responds to their way of thinking about things and, like you say, dismissing any alternatives. Mm -hmm. This is a problem in itself, even yeah. for all of us, yeah. you know? We need a broader consensus. We need a broader outlook on mm -hmm. all of our social, economic, political, and cultural problems. Yes, yes. And not just dig ourselves into a little cave, cave here yeah. and then respond only to that little group. So in that sense, uh, yeah, that that's coming about in 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 a, uh, I call it a microcosm okay. of beliefs. That is happening, yeah. I like the words that you choose. They're very intriguing. Um, when it comes to being an artist, right, you, uh, what made you choose the poems, you know, being being a poet, being a co-author? What made you do that? What was the inspiration? I like that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, uh, Gregory and I have uh, known each other for about 12 years now. Okay. And uh, he started doing uh, poetry using uh, machinery. Oh, wow. Yes, very interesting. Oh, very interesting. Yes, and uh, I came on board with him on a project uh, that was using an ATM machine, automatic uh, uh, money transfer. Oh, wow, you know? yes. And instead of having the uh, banking information on mm -hmm. the screen, he did a video of him reciting his poetry in, in English. He's Polish, okay. uh, Canadian. Mm -hmm. And he's more comfortable with uh, English than with, uh, I mean, with Polish rather than, rather than English. English. Okay. But these poems he did recite in English and mm -hmm. he put them all on a DVD. Yes. And <clears throat> to his knowledge, that DVD was one of the very first of the um, computer generated uh, uh, digital. Digital. Poetry. Oh, wow. Readings, yeah. Meant specifically for mm -hmm. the poems that he recited. So now coming, talking about digital age these days, what do you think, where, where does an artist stand when it comes to digital AI? Let's say, you, you know, you can Google stuff. You can, AI can write poems for you. They can write scripts for you. What do you think about that? Is it killing the art or is it killing the artist? Uh, Gregory uses AI to some extent because uh, he needs to translate from Polish into mm -hmm. English. Yes. So his his poems are all, first of all, made in Polish. Okay. And he has had trouble translating them the way he mm -hmm. really yeah, wants to over time, you know? Yeah. And now he's beginning to use an AI program. Chat, what do they call it? Chat GPT? Yes. Yes. 
I use that too. Yeah. <laughs> for my emails. Is that right? Yes. Uh, and he shows me his poems in those translations. He said, Dennis, you know, I, I truly I've used AI. Mm -hmm. And they come out just almost exactly the way Exactly the way said. he wanted, yeah. Wow, I said, that's great. I, mm -hmm. I I let's take a look at it. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, yeah, it does seem like a good job, mm -hmm. you know, in the translation part of it. Yeah. And poetry is different than verse. I mean, um, than uh, let's say uh, journalism, or it's trying to get to the heart of the structure of the idea. Mm -hmm. uh, in journalism, the idea is is laid down, yeah. explicated, mm -hmm. and then it's uh, refined as you go along. Okay. But uh, <clears throat> because of metaphors and transformations mm -hmm. and innuendos that poetry uses, yes. it is harder to translate. So is there a fundamental process for poetry? Is yeah. there different types of poetry? Yeah. So yeah. I would love to learn, yeah. There, there is. And most poetry is still using a, uh, a certain framework. Okay, yes. It's yeah. a structure. Yeah. Words rhyme at the end of the lines. Yeah. There's certain cadence, you know. I the am format. The pentameter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Format. Yeah. And then uh, the ideas are inserted into those. Uh, okay. That format, that structure. Mm -hmm. And uh, like his sonnet. Okay. <clears throat> so this set of poems that Gregory and I did for the book uh, called Erasure, by the way. Yeah. The title is Erasure. Yeah. Is more in the line of concrete poems. poetry yeah so what's concrete yeah. poetry yeah what is it uh it, it's a form of poetry that makes itself into a poem as the structure is made along the way along the way so, uh the content and the structure mm -hmm. they don't they're not set out in the beginning okay. but by the end of the poem they do exist okay but they exist as a process so the difference between uh let's say an academic sonnet Mm -hmm. and, and a concrete poetry is you can really loosen up a lot of things in the concrete uh, poet poetry yeah. that you can't do in in the more formalistic mm -hmm. uh, structures. So that's we, interesting. Well, we've really loosened up yeah. in this one. I should probably tell the listeners a little bit about yes, please the format. Or uh, even uh, for educate me and educate the listeners. <laughs> and myself to remind myself. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, the book consists uh, erasure, uh, a discussion between two poets, mm -hmm. uh, exists in the form of 10 poems. Oh, yes. Yeah. Now, each poem has six pages to it. Mm -hmm. And each poem uses three pages to establish and write the poem. In other words, that's the construction of the poem. Those are on white pages, right? Yeah. The figure is in black. Yes. Just to make a, a distinction there. Yeah. And then the last three pages of each poem is the deconstruction. I see. Of the poem that's structured already. Wow. And that uh, deconstruction consists of erasing words. Okay. Out of the, the original. The original poem. ones, yeah. And uh, it's important to know mm -hmm. that. All the words and all the lines remain the same all the way through each one of the changes. Okay. The only thing that changes are words between words. I see. So the ultimate <clears throat> result on the sixth page with the white figure and a black background yes. is a reconstruction of that original poem on the white page. 
Oh, wow. So that reconstruction of the poem, instead of decaying into chaos, yeah. it actually has created a new meaning. A new meaning. Oh, using wow. the same words. Um, how the words can be used in a way to you know, tell a story, tell a poem, and, and just express emotions. Yeah, this is, I think, where uh, this idea of postmodernism mm -hmm. comes in, too. Uh, in the constructed poems on the white pages, that, that's pretty well modernistic. Yeah. The poet is establishing the ideas, writes yeah. them on the book on... page, and, and, and finally ends mm -hmm. up with a total poem. Yes. That's an authority that's used in order to establish okay. an object. Right? Okay, I see. But in postmodernism, uh, it it's takes away from that authority and allows uh, extraneous uh, events and occurrences to come into an artwork. And that's where the last three pages of each poem, I when see. you read them, you're saying, oh, what could go next? Yes. You know? So it keeps you thinking. Yeah. Why are these holes here? Mm -hmm. You know, they're just parts of something. And I don't understand. I do think that probably on first glance, a lot of people will say, well, this is very much like perhaps what a child might write. Yes. You know, yeah. Because of the loss of uh, the the words language. and your language. Yeah. Yeah. So the uh, building up of the language and the tearing apart of the language is uh, very much a part of each one of the poems. Now, saying that, yes, I have to uh, uh, say this also, and that is that um, these poems have a a presence that's different from most normal poems that you Oh, read. yes. I was reading that and I found it. Your poems were different than those ones. Also now, talking about what do you think a poem is? How would you define a poem? Uh, Chris, in this case, uh, a poem would be Gregory and I would establish it as a very visual uh, thing. Yeah. And not just a literary, uh, okay. readable thing. Is it a journey? There is a journey there. And that journey begins with the idea inside a poet. Okay, I see. So let's go back to page one of each poem. Yes. That poet doesn't know what the whole poem is yet. Mm -hmm. Starting to write, you know, yeah. out. Still in the lines, process, right? Yeah. And then um, by the time he gets to page three, yeah, the whole poem then is structured there. He went through a journey. Yes. And then the other uh, poet who erases words from that poem is going on a separate journey. They're I not see. the same journey. They're quite different. Though. Originated from the same uh, seed. That's right. And uh, what is interesting in the last three pages are the distances between the words. Yes. There's so much space going on there. Oh, that was on purpose too. Yes. Okay. Because that makes the poem more interactive with the reader. Yeah. The reader has to kind of just, well, what would you put in? <laughs> yeah, right. Yes. Yeah. You know, this doesn't necessarily go to that. There's mm -hmm. no relationship there. Well, are you sure about that? Because there was a relationship in the original poem. So what's happening in this second part of the poem then that's different from the first part? See, that was, I found it very intriguing that certain periods, certain commas, certain exclamations can make a huge difference. It's subtle, isn't it? Subtle, yes. I, I have trouble with punctuation. Okay. And uh, these poems don't use very much punctuation. I think uh, I start out with a capital letter, right? Yes. Yeah, you, I, yeah I think so. I yeah. Do, <laughs> if I do a full sentence, then I'll put a period at the end, and then I may start with a capital letter again. Yes. But uh, for the most part, I'm, I'm more concerned about 
the thought processes That's... than the linear processes. Yes. If if one particular thought runs into another thought, yes, I won't stop the line. I'll keep going. I'll even transfer from one line down to the next line in one separate thought using two or three lines. So in that sense, I've tried to open up the poem to ideas rather than to structure. So have you been criticized about this? Yes. Uh, well, a lot of people, they either don't take much time with it. They flip through it and they just look at the actual finished products on the white page and yeah. the black page. And uh, they don't have any reason, really, reason to think of the intermediate pages yeah. as important. Just like a movie, you know, you see the first half, second half, and the, the ending. Yeah. So that's how people make their uh, reviews about, opinions about the movies. That's what I understand, too, yeah. is that most filmmakers do a three-part, almost like a three-part sonata in music. Yes. They do the beginning, the middle, and the end. And, yeah. Right? And almost every story carries over that way, uh, the visual aspect of it. So since uh, Gregory and I started out uh, using the idea of a video, uh, then we have a more filmic uh, approach to things. Okay. And I did study film when I was in art school. And I studied with three people that were pretty influential in regard to what I understand as film. And uh, when I was growing up, too, I was very lucky. The manager of the local theater that was doing foreign films, underground films, and independent films. She she knew what she was doing. When it comes to critics, do you think they're given own biased opinions or they're just validating the art? Well, uh, I'd have to speak generally about that. General, yes. Yeah. I haven't had cr criticisms of the book yet, uh, except from just individuals that want to understand yeah. more about what we're doing. So uh, I don't think we're at the level of criticism here for this book yet. What about in general? Yeah, criticism in general is, it's almost unknown now. Mm -hmm. uh, newspapers have uh, got rid of their critics yeah. in the art department, yes. the music department, and they carried on people who review these things. A review, yeah. But most of those reviewers are thinking in terms of the uh, media that they're writing for. So they're going to give nice reviews to films, for example. Yeah. They're not going to be scathing and cutting, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think as far as art goes, you really have to know something quite a bit about art mm -hmm. history yes. if you're going to be critical of any particular artist now. And how many people that write reviews for uh, visual art have that understanding? Kenneth Baker is, yeah. I consider, a, a, a critic. A good, yeah. And writes for the San Francisco Papers. And there are a couple of others that are really true critics, you know. Yeah. And do you think an art can be validated or criticized, or should it be experienced? Well, all arts have to be experienced, experienced. before they could be validated. Right. Yes. Or even spoken of. Spoken of. You do. We do speak about visual things. This is a problematic as far as visual art goes. Yes. Because a lot of people will say, well, that's a visual experience. Mm -hmm. How can you talk about it? It's like saying, well, the artist had a certain feeling and expressed that feeling. So that's impossible to talk about that experience of yeah. his or hers. But she may very well have uh, an experience and express it and could very well still hold up to a critique of the work. I do believe that there are structures and their aesthetic structures yeah. there. And those aesthetics, they are the ones that we judge. And not just my feeling about something or the way one looks. I mean, not like it or dislike it. 
And now, how is modern media affecting or impacting the art? Yeah, there, there's, I think, at least two levels there. First of all, uh, the artist is going to be working with some medium. If you're a painter, you're going to use paints of yes. some kind, right? Yeah. Or inks. Uh, if you're a sculptor, you're going to be using metal tools. or ceramic or something. Yeah. Well, and the tools that the sculptor would use or yeah. the painter would use, those are intermediate things. They, mm -hmm. They're they're not significant in relation to what the end yeah. product is. Yeah. Right? Uh, I've done landscape paintings using a, oh, wow. a brush where a lot of bristles are there, you know, and uh, a good enough job for what mm -hmm. I wanted to yeah. do, you know, and that's my only tool that I use. And this, I'm doing a series of drawings right now using a Croquel pen. Okay. And uh, that's the only tool. I mean, I have to dip it in the ink and then I press it to the paper to create this drawing. So there's that medium and that's an important medium. And uh, I don't think that... Uh, <laughs> Is it making I, artists yeah. lazy? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, I've talked to artists and some of them are using digital mediums to do their visual work. But the ones that have a sensibility and have been trained in art to start with, they all feel that it's easy to come up with something because it's not their language. Yes. It's a digital language. Mm -hmm. It's a machine language, right? Yeah. A digital. A digital. And do you think having it easy is fair? <laughs> <laughs> if you have a dealer that's begging you for more work so yeah. you can sell more, it would be fair to you. Yeah, a lot of pressure, yeah. yeah. So some artists are, are uh, given over to that, you know. Yeah. So they are using a lot of uh, uh, mechanical devices. They've been used ever since the Renaissance. You know, you put a screen, Inspirations. Yeah, you put a screen up with a grid of lines on it, and you put that in front of the subject, and then you start to draw and paint from that yeah so you get your scale right uh, and that's back in the 1500s and then uh today overhead projectors if you're yes. a, a if you're a realist uh like a landscape painter for example uh you just simply take your photographs put them on the projector project them onto your canvas and paint yeah. mary pratt's uh, paintings are an example of she uses photographs you know she's died now she's not oh, living but okay her, her work is very beautiful and, and very, uh, um, you know, people want that Inspiring? Work. Yes, inspiring. Yeah. Do you think people are forgetting about the process of things, of making art, or and they're just focusing on the results? No, I don't think. Uh, when you, uh, I think when most people go into a, a visual art gallery, for, and I'll use that because I was trained as a painter. Yeah. Uh, if they go into a visual art gallery and they look at what's on the wall, and most of them don't have very much of an idea of how that stuff got on yeah. that. Mm -hmm. What's in they, it? They just see the content. And so most of the judgments they bring to the work are related to the content, to the storytelling ability of the artist to yeah. say something. And uh, most artists do want to tell stories. Of course, it's an expressive medium. And uh, as a result, uh, I think most galleries are are geared to, they used to call them stables. A number of artists are in an art gallery. Okay. But that stable was pretty cohesive. Okay. And they kind of went along the same thing. Yeah. Minimalism back in the 70s, you know. Well, you wouldn't have a dealer that would take uh, an abstract expressionist into a minimalist gallery. Thing. Oh, really? Okay. So there was that sort of kind of uh, mm -hmm. shoving into a corner. Thing. Okay. Now that since uh, post modernism has really broken loose okay uh those galleries now and oftentimes i go to a gallery i don't know where the heck they stand <laughs> they have so many different things yeah there. do you think it's good in a way or do you think there's both sides good and bad 
Well, it's good and bad, of course. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the good things is it does draw more people in. It's like museums. If you have King Tut up there, they're yes. sure going to... Come and see, right? Yeah. But if you have Dennis Hunkler in there, nobody's going to come and see. Oh, trust me, Dennis. Yeah. <laughs> I love <laughs> your book. <laughs> I think your work has been amazing. Honestly, what is your inspiration? Well, that's a good question. Uh, as a painter, I, I was, uh, as a student, I was uh, influenced very heavily by abstract expressionism and then by uh, pop art and then by color field work. Those okay. are the three schools of painting that influenced my work as an artist and uh, as far as my uh, your poetry goes, poetry yes yeah i was heavily influenced not by very many because i never read a lot of poets okay i didn't just uh, i always felt that that's not what i think because it might change your opinions or views oh yeah well there are some that i highly respect and okay i used to go to hear kenneth rexroth give readings you know and yeah. i give him nice fresh water nice, yes <laughs> <laughs> on his table uh, so kenneth rexroth certainly okay. and he had a very punchy approach to social conditions also those were very much part of his poetry so he was not an academic poet that was speaking of metaphysical truths he was a pretty down-to-earth guy and I, i really respect him for that i went to school with his daughter too Oh, wow. But, uh, and then uh, another poet that I liked a lot was uh, Wallace Stevens. Wallace Stevens. And uh, he worked in the insurance business, and yet he came up with these wonderful poems. And then uh, I was influenced also by the openness of the form of the poetry. Uh, Ezra Pound, and yeah. his early 20th century poets yeah. in England. Okay. When it comes to being inspired, do you think one has to keep their mind open yes. is important. I think that's important. And it's very important that when you are being challenged by someone yes. else's work, that you see the consistency in their work. That's what really sways me to like their work. And there's uh, one or two Polish poets that I'm not familiar with, became familiar with through Gregory. Through Gregory, yeah. And uh, I'm thinking to myself, whoa, this stuff's <laughs> cool. This is yes. cool. And it was done like in, in the 40s and 50s. You know? Oh, wow. Yeah, and during the war also. So, so you like competitiveness. Yeah, I like the idea that uh, there's a vision there, you know. And I don't see a vision versus a vision. Uh, I don't consider that looking at a, a Willem de Kooning abstract yeah. <laughs> expressionist yes. painting mm -hmm. is impinging on my love for give me a name <laughs> uh well van gogh yeah, yeah. Van gogh. <laughs> and all i yeah. personally i all i know from mona lisa and starry night mm -hmm. but that's it there we picasso go. van gogh and when it comes to shakespeare writing shakespeare Ruskin Bond, well, Julius Caesar. You know. And that cafe at Arleo. Yeah. I go, that's a very beautiful painting. It's yes. gorgeous. And when I was younger, I really liked Van Gogh's work. But now I don't. And oh, I used how to come? Read, well, for the same reason, probably, that when I was young, I read Dostoevsky's oh, yeah. novels and stories. And uh, I just can't bear to read them again. Yeah. So I guess there are some things that impinge on our feelings and uh, other things that... Uh, We, okay, been there, done that. Yeah, there must be a path uh, that an artist has to follow in their lifetime. Yeah. And I, I notice that as time goes on, that 
uh, I'm not done with that path. What's the one advice that you'll give artists who, who might be listening to our podcast? One advice that you'll give them or, or as, a, as a writer, as a poet? Well, this one, yeah, anything you want to give, any any guidance you want to share, anything, if let's say somebody wants well, to start. Yeah. yeah, there's only one thing uh, that is very important. And I think that whether you're doing poetry, whether yeah. you're doing visual arts, sculpture, uh, film, video, installational. I've done a lot of installational work. There's only one thing that is so important, and uh, that is retain your own voice that is very deep that's good so let's say for example for me personally i'm passionate about movies important part of that making movies will be storytelling yeah for for an author for a writer for a poet what do you think is the most important part of yes. that uh i'd have to uh say for painting it's not the storyline yeah but it's the uh feeling and approach and, and the overall suggestibility of materiality. And that can be wiping the brush off on a canvas. If it comes out looking stunning, what can you say? What can you say? It? Yeah, you exactly. It. For poetry, on the other hand, yes, uh, poetry always has the, I don't know, it, it's not a weakness. And I don't mean to say that, but there's a kind of a, uh, a desire I always I think, even with my work, to want to tell some kind of a story. Yeah. And yet I don't feel that a poem should be necessarily uh, chained to a story. Okay. There should be a kind of an openness there. Mm -hmm. I guess I would like to practice poetry yes. in the same way that the New York painters during yes. the minimalist period uh, did their artwork, you know? Oh, wow. That's so uh, yes. <laughs> maybe if I did that in poetry, yeah. I could open up these uh, lines free. Broaden the horizon. Yeah. yeah. Build a world there that's uh, more than just what we see, uh, a world that has innuendo in it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So now it brings me to this question What's the most valuable lesson you have learned? Uh, just be true to yourself. True to yourself? Just be yourself? Be yourself. All the artists that I've known, I've known quite a few too in New York, well-known ones. They've commented on my work even. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they've all had one thing in common, and that is they're just ordinary people. How do you respond to criticism? Well, uh, I have had reviews in newspapers. And, yeah. You know, and uh, I must say that one critic called me up. He, uh, <laughs> Stefan was his name. Yeah, and his well-known painter at the time, okay, out of New York, and he wrote a critique of one of my shows in San Francisco. Yeah, and uh, he called me on the phone before he oh, wrote he that article. Wow. Yeah, he said, "Mr. Huntley," he says, uh, "I just uh, have the task of writing writing your show, you know, yeah, at the Humboldt Galleries, and uh, I, I've come up with some of these ideas, and I'd like to run them past you." I said, "Hold it, hold it, hold it, yeah." <laughs> R.F. Stefan, I think it was R.F. Stefan. Uh, I said, hold it right there. I said, uh, first of all, you don't have to run anything past me. I said, okay. you look at my work, you consider what I've done, think about what you want to say about it, and yeah. whatever you say about it, be beautiful with me. Well, he said, uh, uh, I appreciate that. He said. Yeah. <laughs> and do you think your, your in feedback would have changed his opinions or review cr criticism? Well, I think he was being kind to me. Kind, okay. Yeah. yeah. It was my first commercial, uh, one man show in a commercial gallery. Mm -hmm. I had a one person show at a advertising agency in Toronto. Oh, wow. That. Yeah. 
And, uh, but that wasn't a commercial gallery. That was uh, ad agency. These guys are all doing ads. So this was my first uh, commercial gallery venture. So I, that was I awesome. that he probably wanted to go a bit easy, but I, I didn't want that. So okay. I told you, write what you feel. <laughs> That's good. And he wrote something good, yeah, I believe, really, yeah. assuming? Yeah. That's good. Yeah. What's the best compliment you have got for your work? For my work? Yeah. Was it over the phone? Was it? Well, uh, <laughs> I have to say that probably the nicest thing that anybody, uh, uh, Mark Kostavi is a American painter, and he was on the cover of Time magazine. And oh, wow. Too, his work, you know. Yeah, he. And uh, I went to an opening of his at, on Bush Street in San Francisco. Okay. And uh, I was hustling the galleries at the time yeah. with a portfolio, yeah. you know, trying to get a dealer that would, you know, look at my Help work. Help you, right? yeah. So uh, I saw, yeah, he's got that opening. I'm going to go over there. It was in the yes. evening, you know. Yeah. And I walk in and all these suits are there, you know. Oh, wow. Guys, you know. Yeah. Just, Gentlemen. Yeah. yeah all being, the... Holy cow. Any of these people could afford a $100,000 print. Easy, yeah. <laughs> from Gustavi, you know. Yes. And uh, uh, I walk around looking at the stuff. And he had, they had some sculptures in the back of the gallery. see him there clustered with about five guys with suits on. And I thought, he looks a little uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> I, I walked up to him and I yes. said, uh, Mark, Mark, I said, uh, I really enjoy your work. And he stepped out of that. Oh, so you, you saved him, basically, saved him. <laughs> from the paparazzi. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I said, I have to say, uh, I really, you know, I, I liked your ability to put the human figure into these uh, compositions and blah, 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 this sort of thing, you know. And uh, I don't know, as we were talking, he walked me over to the, there was a desk there. The okay. Area. And uh, he said, what do you have in your hand? Oh, I said, just this, this my stuff. Now, he says, I'd like to see what you're doing. You know? Oh, wow. I said, are you sure? I said, you're, this is your opening. Yes, okay. <laughs> he said, I want to see what you're doing. Yes. So I opened my portfolio on mm -hmm. the desk there, and he looked at it, and he said, you know what I think? It's memorable. Wow. He liked the work. That's amazing. He made that comment. It's memorable. 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 And you know, certain sometimes just certain words, certain compliments, they just stick to you. Yeah. Well, that one does. And uh, then there around that same time, no, long before that. Long before that. Yeah, there was a little thing in a San Francisco uh, book dealing with the arts and yeah. entertainment, and uh, this uh, writer wrote, picked out my show, and okay, made it an important Article? part on this. Uh, yeah. It was only one paragraph, but he said something like this. He said, uh, Dennis Hunkler's uh, paintings are, oh, are different. Are different. Okay. Very different. And they're very hard to walk away from. Oh, so see, that's a compliment. That's so compliment. that's a, quite a compliment. Wow. So I think those two things probably as far as criticism go. Okay. Kind of stood out in my mind over the years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as a person, person, this might be a personal question. Mm -hmm. um, what makes Dennis happy. What is happiness for you? Brushing my teeth with crest tooth. <laughs> <laughs> now, we're coming at the end of the episode. What is going on in your life? What we can expect from you in the future? What what projects are you working on? Uh, yes. Uh, thank you for asking that. Yes. Uh, seriously, no more crest toothpaste here. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, Greg and I uh, were talking about two weeks ago and we we're having coffee over at Tallulah's here in Windsor. And uh, Greg says, uh, you know, it's time for us to do another book. Okay. I said, cool. All right. 
And uh, the last time I had coffee with him, he he selected a theme called gift, you know, like presents. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, gift, yeah, Christmas. Yeah. Like a secret Santa gift. thing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he said, how about that? I said, sure. I said, why not? So it looks like uh, as far as Brevery and I go, uh, we'll be working on a second book. And uh, I do have another book of poems that are already uh, laid out, printed, designed, and designed. Everything. No, but not printed. Not printed. Okay. Yeah. So they're laying in limbo. They've been there for a few years. So I wish at some point along the line here those would be printed too. And as far as my artwork goes, uh, I still, of course, do the visual art. Yeah. So I have a show coming up at the end of this month, November, in uh, Windsor here at Arts uh, Arts Council. Uh, art Gallery, Art Speak on Wyandotte Street. Okay. Yeah. And that one is called The Memory of a Dream. This is a yeah. a show that is a memorial show for a woman that I was supposed to show with, but who died in the meantime, Korach. Catherine. Yeah, Catherine Korach. Okay. A Ukrainian yeah. Canadian. May, you know, may she rest in peace. Mm, thank you. Yeah, no problem. And word. Can people find you if somebody wants to contact you, if they want to contact you for work or advice or suggestions, or if somebody, an artist, upcoming artist, they want to start somewhere, where can they find you? How can they contact you? Well, uh, they have, uh, uh, I'm on Facebook, so okay. they could always message me through through Facebook, Dennis Hunkler. Mm -hmm. okay. And I know I showed you this photo recently. What do you think? It said, between seas, galaxies, and moon, I was lucky I stepped on the same land. I dreamed under the same stars as you. That sounds very familiar. Yes, that, I did send you the, the photo yeah, too. right. And I wanted to use that in the yeah. show coming up at the end of this month. Yeah, what we are, we're, we're a family of humanoids. Yeah. This earth is a planet. It's not a collection of individual nations. Planet. And if we can't understand that, how are we ever going to understand that we can stand up straight, look up in the sky at a nighttime, and know that we're neighbors yes. with all these stellar systems out there? We'll never get to that point. Yes. Yeah. We're still fighting back and forth. Yeah. Within our, you know, between ourselves. Within Under the ourselves. apple tree. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. So that... That quote there is is a good one. Thank you for yeah, sending no that. Yeah, no problem. Of course, yeah, no problem. And I yeah, always I, love talking to you. You know, or always having deep conversations, and I love that. Great. Yeah, well, I appreciate, it. and I want to thank you for taking the time to uh, interview me on your uh, oh, blog site. It was a pleasure talking to you, having on our podcast. Thank you again. Thank you, Raman. So now coming to an end. Shout out to my friend Terry, who called me out for not having enough dad jokes. I am so sorry, Terry. I don't have a dad joke today, but a quote of day or which reflects our episode is for a while is a phrase whose length can't be measured, at least by the person who's waiting. So thank you again, listeners. Happy Diwali. Thank you for listening, for your support, for your love. And this is Raman. Peace. <laughs>